Coming up this week, off screen. We open the green book, ask for forgiveness, smell something burning, and face an escape room. All those to come and more, off screen. This is. This is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. And I'm John Coulson. Welcome back, Mr. Coulson. Another week of filmic fun to discuss and to unpack and to get through and... All of our usual fun, really. Can't wait. Yeah, right. So, before we get to the box office top five, new reviews, some film news, we need, of course, a signature piece of film news, a, uh, a a grand piece of news that we can build yet more news, a news universe, if you will, around. What have you got for me? So, something that you'll be happy with. Okay. Do you remember Upgrade? Upgrade, yes, yes, I, I do remember Upgrade. It was in my best, my favourite of the year list. Which you were wrong about, but... Okay. Um, so the- that's why it's not the best of list. That's why it's our favourite. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's all in the wording, my friend. All in the wording. Well played. There you go. Uh, so yeah, director Lee One L. That's his surname. I only wrote Lee. Cause- okay, Lee One L. Uh, who John Dickinson uh, took me along to an event for I think it was Insidious Three. Okay. And we met him. We spent an evening with him at a séance, and he was a lovely chap. Oh, nice. He was a really nice man. Oh, that's cool. And also, I'm just a fan of his work. I was, yeah. Well, generally, I was a fan actually before then, but cause I, I love the Saw series. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I, I love a few of them. Yeah, I yeah. like I like a good slasher movie. Yeah. I like a I like a Final Destination kind of flick. But I have a soft spot for Saw. Lee Wanell comes from that. I loved Upgrade. I thought that was what you should do with the RoboCop now. And uh, yeah, has he got a new job? Yes. Right. So this is this is the Invisible Man. Yes, it? it is. Okay, which I'm very happy about. Now this gets interesting. Okay, this was part of the Dark Universe. This oh. project, oh, right. right? So you remember we we're going to have the Mummy, yeah, the Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. Then it was going to be the Invisible Man. I think we had Wolfman and things like that to come oh, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Right, they had a star for The Invisible Man as well, because you might remember there was a Dark Universe photo shoot in which they got the cast of The Dark Universe together. I do remember this. You do remember. Do you remember who The Invisible Man was? No. It was Johnny Depp, sir. Yes. Yes. And I think we can pretty much guarantee that is not happening now. They've they've pretty much been been the idea of him anyway. Okay. But uh, no, also, this will now not be... Part of that universe, essentially. I mean, that's probably best for it. Or if it is, it's going to be a little more subtle. We don't have to worry about it. Okay, yeah. No, 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 you know, stopping dead so Russell Crowe can do a really bad accent and and play pseudo Hulk on us. I I didn't mind that film, I'm just saying. Okay, well, you know, we all have problems. Is is that where I'm wrong? You're you're wrong. (laughs) Other opinions are available. Yours, however, should not be. Okay, Okay, there we are. Okay, so uh, before we uh, go on to the first review then, uh, let's plug the podcast edition. Yes. Uh, So you want the extended version of the show, more news, more reviews that we can't fit into the radio edit, Uh, just go on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, I'm forgetting some of them. Google Play, Deezer. Yeah, pick your podcast repository of choice. Yes, the one. Go along there and they'll they'll stock us. That's how it works. (laughs) You know, we we will be in stock. So, uh, yeah, enjoy that. Uh, in the meanwhile, we should, we should carry on with our first review. So what is our first review this week? Um, it's... Oh, I'm looking forward to this one, actually. Okay. It's 
Can you ever forgive me? Can you ever forgive me? Okay, so, right, I, I had the pleasure of seeing this at a, a late-night talker screening last uh. weekend. And uh, so this is uh, the this is nominated for a couple of Oscars, actually. Yeah. So, Best Actress for uh, Melissa McCarthy. This is why I'm interested. Best Supporting Actor for Richard E. Grant. I think there's, is it Best Adapted Screenplay? Or one of the screen, it's in one of the screenplay categories. It's got a couple of nods. And uh, I think, obviously, I don't think we knew this when I had, before, before I'd seen it. So I think the, the Oscar noms were after. Okay. Okay. Um, I can say I do actually think it is kind of deserving for most of its its Oscar credentials. Okay. Uh, maybe not quite for Melissa McCarthy, but don't don't pay, I'm not painting with damning praise or anything. I'm, uh-huh. I'm burying the lead a little bit. Okay. So um, she is Lee Israel, right? This is a 1990 set based on a true story dramedy. She is Lee Israel, a washed up middle aged writer whose uh, whose literary attempts have basically kind of dwindled now. She's no longer anything resembling a hot property and she's facing a world in which it's all about the glamour authors you know like your John Grishams I think John yeah. Grisham might come up specifically okay um how you know these rock star authors yeah, yeah. Who, who are not aren't really churning out art they're churning out products yeah. so yeah see if you spot something you might find relatable in yeah. there yeah. but um so with all this going on, she she basically inadvertently discovers that she can forge letters of note, as it were, from famous authors or movie stars or screenwriters or basically just anyone like in in the celebrity world, a notable figure. Right. So like a, you know you could have a, a Hemingway, for instance. Yeah. Or yeah. And the idea is that these are sort of typed notes that they have sent out as actual letters as correspondence. Yeah. So like Fred Astaire has written a letter to his buddy in Oklahoma, and this is that letter. Right. And she fi- figures out that. Basically, if she can pass them off as the real thing, she makes a good chunk of change every time. Oh. Do you think this might end badly? I mean, there's a chance. I mean, there's a movie about it, so that kind of tells you that the story came to light. Here's a clip. I thought this uh, one line here was particularly clever, don't you think? It's wonderful. I love his writing. And Dorothy Parker as well. Caustic wit, you know? Caustic wit is my religion. I can't carry it off. You certainly can. Doesn't help too much in the relationship department. I'm sure that's not true. Okay, should we settle up? Yeah. So as you can hear from that, there's a lot more. Uh, this is a lot more of a nuanced role for Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. Bit less in your face than we we usually get of her. And uh, I say that as like, someone I quite like, Melissa McCarthy. I love her. And uh, well, I mean, I have since I think pretty much Gilmore Girls. I always thought she was one of the best things about <laughs> Gilmore Girls. But uh, her ability to you know that way in which she inhabits a character, yeah. how you know it really does just cease to be Melissa McCarthy playing a role, and it just seems to be Melissa McCarthy wearing the severed face of whoever it is she's supposed to be portraying. That's why I love her. Exactly. Well, she can do that just as well for a dramatic purpose as comedic. It seems, oh. and I'm I and I love her for it. I really do. Uh, Richard E. Grant gets kind of an easier time, but he has a hell of a lot of fun doing it. And he's just this swinging from the rafters, flamboyant BFF that she has. Nice. Very sort of uh, the New York book scene answer to Withdale, if you will. Okay. Very much like always drunk, always high. Yeah, very great character. I can see why he would get nominated for Best Supporting Actor for yeah. it, because it's a lot of fun, but it is a big big showy kind of a role. Okay. Now, it comes to us from director Mariel Heller, who a couple of years ago directed a film I really loved. And that film was The Diary of a Teenage Girl, starring Belle Powley and Alexander Skarsgård. 
Right. Right. D- don't don't like feel guilty if you didn't see or anything. Nobody did. Oh, okay. It's, it's fine. Nobody did, but everyone who saw it to review it seemed to love it. So, oh, yeah. yeah. See also Edge of Seventeen, same year, same thing. Young female leads just weren't getting a look in in the drama category that year, the dr- dramedy category that year. Fair enough. Um, now, so obviously I have a vested... That was one of her first films. I'm, I'm a vested interest in seeing Mariel Heller do well, and she absolutely does it here. This plays like a Rob Reiner riff on American anim- uh, American Animals. Yeah. Yeah. American Animals, the, the the heist movie recently. Yeah. This plays like if you got Rob Reiner to do that in the early nineties with Bill Murray as the lead. Ah. Only it's Melissa McCarthy. Um, it is fun. It is interesting. I I had a great time with it. I just thought it was really sharp. I thought the chemistry between the two was great. Um, I I will definitely watch the film again, as I will American Animals, obviously. Mm. Um, I, I you know I uh, I think uh, Richard E. Grant could very easily walk away. With, uh, with with his award. I think he's got stiff competition from another film that we're reviewing this week. Yes. But uh, I think Richard E. Grant's really got something here. I think this is a great performance for him, and I'm really glad to see him get a role that's this big and fun. I kind of miss Richard E. Grant doing centre stage in, in big movies. Yeah. I mean, do, what, what, do, you have a, do you remember Richard E. Grant from anything? Like, no, off the top of your head? Not really. Um... <laughs> Sort of, I mean, I had a young cousin that watched the Spice Girls movie quite a lot, <laughs> so that might have cast a shadow on him. That <laughs> uh, indeed, that's where I knew Meatloaf from. <laughs> but oh god, that was only twenty-one years ago. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think it's a really really solid movie. There's um, a great performance in there as well from uh, an actress called Dolly Wells. And uh, I like Dolly Wells uh, a lot in a t- in a TV series, a Patrick Stewart led comedy series called Blunt Talk. Right, right. And you're looking at me like that sounds bewildering. It is true. Patrick Stewart had uh, two seasons of a TV comedy of his own. Okay, and he was great in it. The show was great. Nobody watched it. Well, yeah. Dolly Wells was terrific in it, and she's terrific here as well. She's this sort of awkwardly cute, unlike uh, you know, uh, unlikely love interest, but also sort of doubles as the moral, sort of ethical heart of the movie in a way. Right. right. Um, I, I thought it was a really solid film. I really did. I thought it was really sharply written. I thought it had a nice nice, nasty sense of humour in, in just that right way where it's not an aggressively nasty film but it is in that Bill Murray in the early 90s level of nastiness yeah. kind of where, like, I would say three billboards light on the, uh, on the misanthropy level, oh, you know, okay. in, in, in the nastiness department <laughs> okay, okay. But I did really like it, I think Melissa McCarthy's really got a solid dramatic card that she plays and uh, yeah, I absolutely see it, I can't recommend it highly enough yeah, it sounds good with the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Mr. Coulson. So, to where shall we journey next on our cinematic quest? To a film called Burning. To Burning. Well, I uh, I was told uh, by the publicist that they uh, they really desperately wanted everyone to see this on the biggest screen they could. That's good. And that is always a good sign. Also, before then, I hadn't been uh, I wasn't too excited about it. I thought, okay, there might be something to this. Yeah. All I knew was that Stephen Yoon, uh, who we recently saw in Sorry to Bother You, uh, that he was in this. Stephen Yoon from The Walking Dead, and or Glenn. Let's just call him Glenn. Okay. Yeah. Everyone calls him Glenn. He's just Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I sat down to uh, to watch. I'm going to have to pull up the IMDb page because there's a yeah, lot of uh, there's a lot of Korean names that I otherwise will not be able to pronounce. Okay. 
So it follows uh, a young boy named uh, young boy, young, young man in his twenties named Jong Su, and he bumps into a young girl that uh, he, he he was friends with in childhood. He went to school with. He uh, he always had a bit of a thing for, and obviously they reconnect. Uh, he's promptly friend zoned when she goes off on holiday, oh. and returns with uh, with a new boyfriend, who's a little bit dark, sleazy, charming. I would say, and he's played by Stephen Yoon. And before long, Jaime, uh, Jaime, our manic pixie dream girl uh, love interest figure, um, has gone missing. And Jong Su starts to have some suspicions oh. about her new, the new arrival in her life. Okay. So you obviously hazard a guess as to what he might suspect. Yeah. Uh, we haven't got a clip, obviously, it's in, in Korean. But uh, Ian Yu, uh, who plays uh, Jong Su, I thought was uh, really solid in this. He plays it as a really withdrawn, really cautious performance. And as he starts to get more and more into the mystery of what's what's befallen his, uh, you know, his would be uh, lover. Um, his his performance starts to basically open up at the same time, so it allows allows more of him out. It's quite a clever balance. I really liked it. Uh, Stephen Yoon, I thought was great. I'm not used to seeing him at because obviously he, I think he is Korean American. Right. I'm not used to seeing him play a Korean in Korea. Yeah, which is just strange because I'm so used to seeing him in Western productions. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and uh, Jong So Jun as uh, as Jaime, I thought just has this great, like I say, manic pixie dream girl quality to her. You absolutely see the you actually see the allure of this character. Why he would so desperately and instantly fall in love with this girl, you absolutely get that because the performance is really great and really alluring, and it works. Uh, Chang Don Lee, uh, who's directed this, um, has uh, done a pretty solid job. Um, um, there's some quite intriguing visuals in there. I thought the uh, the score for it, which is by Maug, I want to say M O W G. Maug is like a stage name, right? And it's just one guy. It's like his his, his stage name, like Dead Mouth Five. You know that that's his Dead Mouth <laughs> Five. Um, he he's uh, come up with a really effective, really atmospheric score for this. At one point, it goes full David Lynch. Okay. Just for no other reason than as to sort of punctuate a sequence in which they all sit around and get baked. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Also, and, and you'll appreciate this, I'm a big fan of any movie in which one guy simply turns to another and says, I like to burn down greenhouses sometimes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Big fan of that. Yeah, I'm a fan of that. <laughs> Why not? Everyone's got their voices. But yeah, I recommend this. Uh, a little bit lengthy, so I think it clocks in at 227, 230. Uh, but it does sustain its runtime. You don't feel like any of that screen time has necessarily been wasted. All right. It feels like a film that takes its time rather than that's over long. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, you know that's what I mean? Good. That, that yeah. balance between, you know, being laborious and brilliant. It can ruin a film. It can. God, it. Yeah. So, uh, some film news before we continue then. What have we got? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Okay, what is it? So, um, Funko Pops. Okay, Funko Pops. We, we have a few in the room. We but, do. Yeah. So, toys made from TV and movie. Okay. Have now got a movie about the toys made from TV and movie, which now have a movie about the toys. Made, you know what I'm saying? So, the fourth wall's breaking the fourth wall. It's like 16 walls. <laughs> They're all getting broken. <laughs> So, um, well, I mean, it's only in that same way that the Lego movie has has set a real precedent. Because, obviously, on the back of the Lego movie, we, we've had other Lego movies. Yeah, that's true. We've had the Emoji movie. Let's not talk about um, it. Did we have... I think we had Angry Birds uh, in the wake of that as well. <laughs> we really um, did. We really 
We did. We've got the Playmobil movie coming up. Unnecessary. We've got you know Lego Movie Two's next week. Um, okay. You know, I mean, it, it it's opened up this whole cinematic avenue. It's kind of like adapting live action fairy tales. Obviously, it's a fertile market for it. You can understand uh, pop figures being what they are, which is you know you can mix and match brands effectively. Yeah, it's you true. can see the obvious appeal, yeah. especially if you then go and cast them to hilarity. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, if you get a Spider-Man, for instance, you either have to go and get Tom Holland or, you know, someone where it's actually a gag. You have to go get Jake Johnson from... <laughs> exactly, I kind of like that. Um, I'm all for it. I think it could work. I can't see any reason uh, any reason for Funko Movie not to... It'll fly! That brand is huge. Yeah, so it could be terrible and still, like, still make loads. That's it. But, I mean, then again, consider for a second, did any of us ever expect the Lego Movie would be any good? Right. I'll give you that. Yeah, none of us ever did. Having said that, none of us expected the Emoji Movie to be any good either, and I think we all agree, that was rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so this we could we could go either way on this one. Also, Angry Birds was better than anyone expected, yeah, if you're honest. That's not, that's not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. But we will see, we will see on the Funko Movie. Okay. But Okay, so what's our next review, then? So um, the next is Escape Room. Escape Room, right? Just just a, a forewarning: we've not got a clip for Escape Room, right? Not because it's not in English; it absolutely is in English. But there's only two clips available for it, and they're both basically action sequences. Ah, right. I, I really love it when they get played. Though. <laughs> you just see like doors slamming, yeah, punches. Like, what? what? This, is, this is telling me nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for this. I feel like I know less than when I started. <laughs> Right, so Escape Room, which... uh, Right, how best to go into this one? Escape Room is... Do you ever see Cube? Yeah. You you remember Cube? Right. It's basically that if they wanted to make a PG-13 version of it, if they wanted a 12A version of it. Right. So... Disney Channelified, uh-huh. made for the Sci-Fi Channel, that kind of level of gratuity. Right. The general premise is one of those you can fit on a cocktail napkin, which yep. is a group of mismatched strangers unite to, uh, you know, they meet up in the lobby of the new escape room experience, yeah. uh, and it turns out the traps are, you know, the escape rooms are actually basically death traps. Yeah. So a bit cute, bit sore. And but yeah, but yeah. yeah. and yeah, you, you kind of know where you're going with this. The idea is there's a bunch of like eight or however many of these rooms, and the idea is if you make it through all of them, you get out. And eat, there's a hot one and a cold one. Like there's one room that's on fire and one room that's freezing, and so on and so forth. Okay, you get the idea. Now it's basically got a no name cast. Okay, all right. Uh, except for Tyler Labine, who you'll just know as that stoner sidekick from That Thing. Oh, God. And Deborah Ann Wool, who you just know as Karen Page from Daredevil. Oh, okay. Right. Okay, they're basically it. Other than that, everyone looks like they're look, look like the, the Poundland doppelganger version of someone that was too busy to actually be in this. Right. So, like, Jay Ellis turns up to play, uh, you know, the role that clearly would have gone to Lakeith Stanfield otherwise. Right. Um, you've got uh, a, a South Asian nerd, for instance, who clearly is, is cast because uh, Karen Sony was busy. Right. A uh, young black female lead who looks an awful lot like Amanda Stenberg, who's there because Amanda Stenberg just had a lot on her schedule. Right. So on and so forth. Yeah. Right. Now, here's the thing. If you had that cast and they made this movie, they, they probably could just about survive the script for it. Uh, this cast, however, cannot. The script is terrible. Uh, the script is absolutely appalling. Oh, wow. Um, it's very functionally directed at best. Adam Robitel's put this together, and he directed, uh, famously directed, Paranormal Activity, uh, 
The Ghost Dimension, right. which is a film even Paranormal Activity fans couldn't be bothered with. Oh. And then he directed Insidious The Last Key, which even Insidious fans really couldn't be bothered with. And then he directed uh, the, 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 taking of, uh, the Taking of Someone So Forgettable I Can't Even Remember the Rest of the Title. Right. So, yeah, which is a film that exists. Okay. <laughs> and you do kind of think, I think that the low-energy affair that he puts into this, you know, it, it, it does feel like it's down to him, unless, yeah. unless the production. It does feel like it's an energy he brings to the film. There's a couple of faintly entertaining traps, you know, in, in, yeah. in the, like certain rooms are kind of more inherently entertaining than others. Um, there's, there's one that's like an upside-down dive bar. Okay. It looks very bad times at the El Royale oh, right. kind of thing. Um, and there's stuff like that that's, that's amusing, that's interesting. But to be honest with you, you kind of come away at the end of it thinking, that was bloodless, predictable. The, I'm going to have forgotten the ending before I forget the rest of the film because that's how much effort seems to have gone into it. Yeah. And, yeah, there's no there's no fun had with any of the characters. There's no archetypy going on with them. There's, you know, the, you've got one character, for instance, who's a PTSD-stricken ex-vet. A veteran, sorry, ex soldier, and nothing's done with that. All oh, right, it's just like a, a note. It's done for a brief claustrophobia sequence. It's, it's a film that feels very much like, you know, the concept was was drawn up on the back of a cocktail napkin, yeah. and then it was the case of, okay, I'll just fold that, put it in my pocket, and whilst we finish our drinks, we'll just spitball ideas for the rest of the movie, shall we? And that was really it. Right. It sounds like they've got a cool idea and thought that that would carry it. Very much so. But like I said about this is Cube for PG-13 or 12A, here's the thing, though. It seems to have been written to about the intelligence level of a 12 or 13-year-old. Like, the level of dialogue in it is extremely cheeseball. And yet it plays itself completely seriously. It's a horror movie for kids, but it plays it in such a way as, as to insist that it's for adults. Right. And you're like, what, what the hell am I watching? Yeah. I mean, I think we were three people. We were three dead people into this before I realised that the film is so bloodless. Everyone had died off screen, and we hadn't seen a single drop of blood. Oh, yeah. That's... It just feels like no creative passion has gone into this whatsoever. It's clearly not an idea that has been produced into a movie on the basis of, oh my god, that's so cool! I can't wait to craft it. Yeah. It feels like, do you fancy doing this escape room movie? <laughs> it feels yeah. more like B than A, and because it doesn't have that, it, it just it doesn't have that level of investment and just general engagement that a horror movie needs to when it wants to be basic. Happy Death Day is a basic horror movie, yeah, but because it's been made by people who clearly just love the idea that they're actually making into a movie, because it's fantastic, yeah, because they have that enthusiasm, you get to ride on that enthusiasm yeah. and it pulls you in. Yeah, this just has nothing in the way of that. And I was really let down by it. Especially because, I mean, I, I re-watched Cube after this. And I was like, <laughs> God damn, that was a good movie. That was a great movie. Th- this was not. I mean, I, what, there's, a, there's a reboot of Cube on the way, by the way. Okay. That is happening. Uh, Jigsaw is getting a sequel. And I can't help but think, unless you specifically have a, uh, a void in your life in which you need one of these movies right the hell now, then don't see this. Wait around for, you know, Cube reboot or, uh, or, or Recube boot. Recube. Recube, there we are. Wait around for Recube or, you know, Jigsaw Jigsaw 2, The Missing Piece. Either of those will work. Okay. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. 
And we're back, Mr. Coulson. So, uh, where are we going next? Are we going back to the news for the next We've bit? got a little bit of news. Okay, what's in the news? What's taking your fancy? There's an addition to mm-hmm. Candyman. Aha, uh-huh. so this is the one that Jordan Peele has written. Ooh. Jordan Peele has written this Candyman reboot. I don't think we've actually had anyone cast for it, have we? Yeah, and this is the first this is bit the of actual cast. first edition that we've discussed. So, uh, Lakeith Stanfield. So, Lakeith Stanfield has joined Candyman. Now, I got very excited when I first heard that. When You know when you see the headline before you start reading the article? Okay. But yeah. the headline really excited me. Oh, my God, please tell me Lakeith Stanfield is going to be the new Candyman. Because, oh, my God, that would be awesome. Like just the, the the sort of that that charisma, that dark, silent, uh, you know, a thing that he does. He could, I could see him really making Candyman rock. Unfortunately, no, he's not. He's going to be do. the guy that you know, the human window into Candyman. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah like the character that has to investigate or discovers Candyman or whatever. Yeah. yeah so that's a shame. That is a shame. But hey, at least it's still got some Lakeith in it. I'm on board for that. Are yeah. you a Candyman fan? Not. N- n- I'm not. Not. I'm not against. I'm not for. The thing I always remember is um, Candyman came out in like 1992 and it starred Virginia Madsen and it was a great movie. It was six. Right, it was it was just a really creepy-ass movie. I was nine years old, I loved it. And um, <laughs> But it was also, it was a dark horror movie. It was a really nasty one. Yeah. And especially just like gore and just the visceral nature of it, it really swung for it. Uh, Candyman 2, though, I always remember is, uh, I think it was Candyman 2 that starred uh, the mum from the O.C., and, oh, wow. Yep. Candyman 2, Farewell to the Flesh. That's what it was called. And then there was Candyman 3, Day of the Dead, which starred Baywatch girl Donna Erico. A Baywatch girl so forgettable, no one... Well, everyone's forgotten her. No one no, no remembers her. That's, that's how forgettable she was. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, top five, Tom? Let's do this. Let's do this. Number five. Let's go fly a kite up to the highest height. Let's go Mary Poppins Returns. Which I think we both enjoyed. Yeah. I mean, I think I enjoyed more than you. Uh, yeah, well, I, yeah, and I enjoyed it more than Kel. No, well, that, that's fair then. So we have complete the Holy Trinity. All is well here. Um, I think Emily Blunt is a terrific Mary Poppins. Yes. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda owns the show, and I think that's a decision made at the creative level from Disney before the film even begins. 100%. <laughs> I think it's pretty much Mary Poppins returns, but Lin-Manuel Miranda's already here. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, the full and unabridged title. Yeah. Um, I had a great time with it. I thought it really captured the spirit of Mary Poppins, but I thought it gave it a nice enough update on on a technical level, that we can feasibly see more of these. Yeah. But I think I think that's, about, that's how I'd roll with it. Has anybody tweeted us about it? Somebody has. So they say, watched hashtag Mary Poppins Returns this evening. Guaranteed I was the oldest female who'd seen the original and was emotional by references from the original. Bravo to Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel on a magical performance. Fair? Yeah. Number four. Stan and Ollie. Which I liked very much. I thought the performances there were terrific. I really liked Shirley Henderson as well. I mean, aside itself from the main two, obviously. I thought Shirley Henderson was really good as well as uh, as uh, uh, Hardy's wife. Um, I still have that na- that nagging issue with uh, Steve Coogan's weird Americanized accent yeah, in it. really do. Which is it's just strange. Every time I see a clip from it, I can't work out what the hell he's trying to do. Uh, but it doesn't take away, though, from a film that I think is really solid. Less about the plot, all about the characters. I was a very big fan. So, has anyone tweeted us about it? Yes. Yep. So, what a fantastic film. Hashtag Stan and Ollie is. Plenty of laughs and also tugs on the heartstrings. Surely Steve Coogan and John C. Riley should be nominated for Oscars. Never mind BAFTAs. Number three. Vice. 
Which you saw. You saw Vice. Yes. Did you like Vice? Right, so now I've had time to think about it properly. Oh, yes, let's continue this one. Yeah, so um, I think I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But it did also make me feel bad for enjoying it. <laughs> okay, fair. It's kind of like the big short in that one. Exactly like yeah. that. Yeah. So um, I think I think Vice is a very good movie. I, I you know I had fun with it. I don't think it's like best picture caliber or anything. Yeah, it's not. It's not up there, but it's it's enjoyable. Enough. And I think unlike W, it lacks something to say. It lacks a point to make. And if its if its point is instead to be a chronicle, then a, I think they leave the vice presidential stuff too late in the game. Yeah. I think they don't show you enough. I mean, I know he's shrouded in secrecy anyway. It does say at the beginning. But, uh, you know, and to be fair to them, they do say on the on the titles at the beginning, they did their, their best, their bleeping best. Yeah, they their very best. Their very best. So, has anyone tweeted us about it? Yes. So, just seen hashtag Vice, and it has some absolutely bonkers stuff in it. Um, sort of frowny, sad, confused face. Okay, that's that's fair. I really thought there was going to be more to that tweet when I started reading it. It did feel like it was building to something more grand. It did. <laughs> look, they, they, look they, 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 they can't all be like an Alan Pakula movie, okay? Okay. Number two. Mary Queen of Scots. Mary Queen of Scots, which is a perfectly, a perfectly sturdy, well-done, robust uh, period piece with a contemporary feminist bent. I think the performances in it are great. Uh, Saoirse Ronan's good on her worst day. Yes. I mean, her worst day is better than most other performers. 100%. She's terrific here. Um, dis- disappointed to not see her get any uh, get much awards love for this, but the film is so good that it stands on its own two feet. Really, and Margot Robbie shows movie star chops for the first time I think I've ever noticed. Yeah, and uh, yeah, great supporting cast in there, and yeah. I thought it was a really solid, really well done movie. I really liked it. I'm uh, I'm not surprised to see it's as high up as it is. Okay. So has anyone tweeted him? Yes. So I'm going to say his name for one. Simon Bloke Collins. I was a fan of that. For? For balance, is there a film in production called Scott, Queen of Marys? That is a truly deep question. Hmm. Number one. Glass. Which people seem to like. I don't get it, but okay, fair enough. Um, I don't. I don't know what to say. I think if you liked Split, if you were a fan of Split, then fair enough. Maybe you'll like Glass. I was more of an Unbreakable guy. Didn't quite get what I wanted from this, which is something made more as that sort of pseudo faux Hitchcockian style that Shyamalan used to put on all the time. You know, yeah. the films like Signs, particularly Signs, yeah. um, used to just have in Spades. But also, Sixth Sense was quite big on that, and well, Unbreakable too, obviously to a lesser extent. But I kind of missed that, and I'd rather have that Shyamalan back rather than this sort of watered down popcorn director who knows to just you know unscrew at least two of the light bulbs in the room every time yeah and uh, as such i just thought it was a bit of a mess i thought there's a point at which the entire cast assembles in a car park to yell about comic tropes <laughs> which i'm sorry but unless you're uh, you know mcm there's no need for that okay you know what i mean and yeah. uh, bruce willis is phoning it in uh, the script is terrible to the extent that it turns samuel jackson's mr glass into something of a narrative joke uh, and yeah, I just came away from the whole thing feeling bored. That was it. The whole time I was just bored. That's not good. But uh, anyway, has anyone tweeted us about it? Yes. So, okay. Hashtag glass movie was a waste of my money. Oh, fair. Came fair. out of the theatre more confused and stressed out than ever. Three emojis showing this. A few laughs though. Oh, okay. Okay. So she had some laughs. A few. Okay, fair enough. So, uh, we just need to win a piece of film news before we carry on, I think. So, yeah. What anything you want to talk about? What's going on? Well, I don't like this. You don't like this? Okay. But, so, uh, Detective Pikachu. <laughs> okay. They're already planning a sequel, and, mm-hmm. and now it could be great, 
the first one, but we, yeah. we haven't seen it yet. So, so okay, right. So why are they already planning it? That bugs me. Uh, because Asia. Sh- yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is with Detective Pikachu, on brand recognition alone, this thing makes a billion. Yeah. This, this thing is guaranteed a billion just on name recognition. Now, five years ago, I probably wouldn't have said that. Pokemon Go has happened since. And Pokemon Go, if it did anything, just reaffirmed that that brand is alive and well. Yeah. I mean, Saban are looking at the Power Rangers franchise and wishing they were Pokemon. <laughs> but that, that's the thing, because, you know, you take Detective Pikachu, which is what's Ryan Reynolds' as Pikachu, is yeah. it? Yeah. You take that, you bear in mind, that's an animated character, anyway. you can dub that into whatever language you want, get the celebrity of your chosen region. Yep, yep. You know, so China can have Jackie Chan do it, for instance, if they want. And... and it works you know you're going to be able to sell this in any region on 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 the and just because you have to dub it anyway just alter some of the topical gags it's pokemon that's printing its own money yeah no i understand that but it bothers me that they're already planning it (laughs) because oh dude no you they're planning a cinematic universe around this thing yeah which means are they planning to make decent ones or just to churn them out quickly enough to make loads and loads and loads of to money. be fair to Detective Pikachu it went into production relatively quick like I think from hearing about it for the first time to then actually filming seemed to be about six months okay um, you know and then I think it was less than six months after that we have the trailer here the film is out in six months time kind of thing. It, it seems to be that they have found a level of comedy that works for the time scale they need because the trailer looks pretty funny doesn't look mind blowingly funny but it looks middle of of the road decently funny it looks like it runs the risk of having all the jokes in the trailer I don't know I don't think there's enough of the plot in the trailer to necessitate I mean the biggest concern for me with Detective Pikachu is is this the next happy time murders yeah but you know I'm, it's got Ryan Reynolds having a few having a few cracks in it so eh, I'm fine with it okay with the latest film news and reviews this is off screen the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Mr. Colson. So, to where shall we journey next? Are you going back to the news now? Should we do a little bit more? Go for it. What do you got? What do you because got? I wanted to say this one first. So, mm-hmm. Princess Diaries. Oh, the Princess Diaries. Yes, that's uh, that's hit the news again this Number week. Number three. Yeah. Completed script. Well, this is the thing, because for for a couple of years, there's been this whole thing where whenever Anne Hathaway's done like a talk show or something and it comes up, she always gives the fans a little bit of a ray of light. Right. And make no mistake, Princess Diaries is one of those franchises, one of those two-film franchises, like Legally Blonde, yeah. where there is a diehard fan base out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's a whole generation of women in their 20s now who, you know, grew up on... who had those films when they were, you know, like, 13, when they were 40, when they were... Yeah. Two, when they were kind of age-relevant to that character themselves. Yeah. It's kind of like in the way that we have an entire generation of adults who are Harry Potter fans now. Yeah. But, um... Hello. For them, it then becomes, you know, the sequel, regardless of quality, becomes a revisit for nostalgia purposes. And um, Princess Diaries 3, that is one of those that people really desperately want to see get made. Uh, there's no word on Chris Pine... Potentially coming back because I think the last one did I end up she ended up with Chris Pine, I think, at the end of the second one. Um, but Hathaway, well, Hathaway wants to come back, uh, he's ready to come back. Uh, Julie Andrews ready to come back, uh, and now they have a script in place. So, yeah, it's, it's just a case of seeing uh, how quickly this then gets greenlit, and it's an easy sell, you know. What I mean, it is a very easy sell, it can't cost very much money to make. You know, you could you could make a Princess Diaries three for what 
25 million if you really wanted to, most of which you'll spend on Anne Hathaway. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yeah. and, and you know that it, it makes 100 mil easy, probably a, probably a good two or 300 mil. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because oh, okay. it has that nostalgia value. You've basically pre-sold the DVD to every fan that's already walking through the door anyway. And then a box set with all three of them. Exactly. You're, you know, you're nobody until you've got that trilogy box set, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know the one where they cut some stylish way to differentiate between the three numbers one, two, three probably be like an engagement ring around the second one and a crown around the first and yeah I can't say anything because I've bought so many box sets like that exactly you know you have stop fronting so uh, where are we going to go next should we review oh, oh one that we've actually both seen yes okay so let's review this is the biggie this week arguably okay this is Green Book yes okay so First film uh, in, in in my recent memory from Peter Farrelly, solo effort of the Farrelly brothers. Yeah. So Peter Farrelly, Bobby Farrelly obviously brought us uh, 11 films of varying quality. Yeah. <laughs> which have included things like uh, Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, uh, Something About Mary, Osmosis Jones, Dumb and Dumber 2, all of which, if you're keeping score, are road trip movies. So, in order to uh, make an awards-friendly, more serious effort, Peter Farrelly has decided to make what, Mr. Coulson? A road trip movie. Imaginatively <laughs> enough! And the look on your face says that you had never considered that. I'd not though, considered that at all. <laughs> right. It's gotten beyond a joke. It's like Shane Black and Christmas. It's just one of those things that happens. <laughs> you know, you watch a Shane Black movie, you know what time of year this is set. <laughs> Don't be playing! There's no question. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't need a Santa hat on the Iron Man suit. You just know it's Christmas because yep. Shane Black's directing. Yeah, right. So, uh, road trip movie. This one stars uh, Viggo Mortensen yep. and Mahershala Ali. The setup of this is you've got a sort of goomba, lovable, wise guy, rogue, roguish hustler yep. kind of figure, played by Viggy Mortz, and he is uh, Tony Lip, I believe is his name. Yep. And when we first meet him, he's basically, uh, you know. Uh, holding, he's basically holding the front at uh, at the Copa nightclub. It's set in 1962. Yep. You've got a, a very broad mob, you know, comedic mobster kind of tone going on. Yeah. Uh, they've got the Copa club, and, and Viggy Mortz is is basically playing the tough guy for the club. He's he's like head of the bouncers. He's as it were. punching a guy in the face, holding his tie. He really is. Yeah. It's, it's a moment of true brilliance. <laughs> um, when the Copa is shut down for remodelling, he's forced to find other work, and he basically get, lands a job as the driver and assistant to a black pianist, Dr. Don Shirley, played by Mahershala Ali, yep. who is going on a, a piano tour, like a musical concert tour, which is basically private venues, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's like uh, stately homes, things like that. Yeah. He's going on a concert tour of, Jim Crow era, of the Jim Crow era Deep South. Uh, however... Viggy Mortz has some prejudices. A few. A few. And, uh, well, Mahershala Ali has a few prejudices too. Yeah. Do you think they might overcome their prejudices, realign their worldview, and find something of a kindred spirit in their awkward relationships with one another? There's a chance. There's a chance. Here's a clip. We'll be attending many events before and after the concerts, interacting with some of the wealthiest and most highly educated people in the country. It is my feeling that your diction, however charming it may be in the tri-state area, could use some finessing. You mean diction like in more way? Like in the only way the word is ever used? Okay. Your intonation, inflection, your choice of words. Yeah, I got my own problems. Now I gotta worry about what people think about the way I talk? There are simple techniques I can teach you that are quite effective. I can help you. I, I don't need no goddamn help. 
Why you break my balls? Because you can do better, Mr. Balawanga. You loved this, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I had a great time with it. I mean, I, I sat there, put it on, and I just sat and watched and loved. You know, I, I mean, I, obviously I could pick it to pieces after the fact, but I did just sit there. I was engaged by the story, and I, I was I was taken along by just how great the chemistry is between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, now, it has issues. It's got some quite staggering issues. Now, for me, uh, a big problem is the tone in the beginning and end seems to be from a different movie entirely. Uh, and that is that broad, let's lean into it, almost Cohen light tone that feels too wacky for basically whenever they're not in New York. So the entire, all the sequences when they're on the road feel like they're from a different movie entirely. Yeah. The only problem is Viggo Mortensen kind of has to carry that tone with him the entire way. Yeah. It's specifically is that, hey, guts, you know, Italian American, really lean into it, broad, comedic kind of a sensibility. The other problem is as well that the earliest example of this, the sequence we see early on in which Viggo Mortensen, uh, we establish that Viggo Mortensen is full blown, I won't even touch a black person level racist yeah and there's a sequence involving in two drinking glass i keep referring to it as the 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 two glasses scene yeah the problem is that a sequence like that puts itself at odds with more or less the entirety of everything vigo mortensen gets given to do by the script for the rest of the film there is a whopping sense of contradiction running through it so for instance at one point uh he's insanely he's insanely uh he's insanely racist but on the other hand he's he's in no way homophobic he's quite fine with the with the gays because as he puts it oh i've worked in nightclubs for years come on i know it's a complicated world he's not thinking so you worked in nightclubs but earlier on in this movie we saw you in a nightclub where most of the staff were black it seems like a a, a lapse in logic that the film never quite reconciles and it does this over and over again it does this kind of thing where one minute he's an idiot and the next minute he's actually quite profound yeah he's quite deep and a lot of the problems within green book come down specifically to that character come down to him he's great in the role yeah, he really is. He really is. The problem is, the role isn't great. He's great in it, not a great role. You know, I, I, I can see why it's gotten the the Academy Awards love that it has, because it's very much the kind of middle-of-the-road film. Like, as we yeah. say, you get, they make this every few years. They do. They you do. know, this one's Driving Mr. Daisy. Yeah. You know, it's like a, a racially inverted Driving Mr. Daisy. Yeah. And it does feel at times just like Viggy Mort's Driving Mr. Daisy to get his blackness back. Like, that's kind of the, the plot at times. Yeah. Having said that, though, they are so charming. They really are. They they really are. The two great characters. They really are. Um, I think, like I say, Viggo Mortensen I was a big fan of, but Mahershala Ali, like I know he's cool as hell. I know he is, yeah. but I always forget just how cool as hell. Yeah, you remember. There's the level above what you remember, and <laughs> really that's where he's is. sitting. He really is on a throne. He's literally introduced to us on a throne, <laughs> like his living room throne. Yeah, which you know you just have. I really wish I did. Have. Yeah, um, I think that the performance are terrific yes um, it, it, it's a film that there's a, cl- a couple of clever mechanisms like because it's a touring band for instance you get to have recurrent characters without having to sacrifice the two-hander element of it yeah so I thought that was quite good when it tries to actually be meaningful about something though then for me it starts to feel a bit empty-headed, empty-headed and a bit lumbering yeah but when you're just taking it as this odd couple movie it does work it is wildly contradictory but it does work yeah and, yeah, I can't really fault it for more than that. I, I had a great time watching it. That's the thing, is you watch it, you enjoy it, mm. you, you go with it, 
there's 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 enough good in the film for it not to matter that if you do want to discuss it and take it apart, you, you really can. Yes, it uh, doesn't stand up to scrutiny. But I finished watching you know. it and I was like, I really enjoyed that. And then I thought, I'm going to talk to Van about this. <laughs> And we're going to sound like we didn't enjoy it, <laughs> but it is. Well, that's that's the trick, isn't it? You have to make, you have to reiterate, you know, the good, yeah. the good as well as the bad. But uh, that's the thing. I think more about it works than doesn't, though. Even though it is empty-headed, yeah. even though it is wildly contradictory, the level of charm that's gone into it, and and just the sort of the, the very sort of comforting level on which it's on which it's written, that sort of thing. Uh, so, for instance, it has this 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 Trump era. Can't we all just get along? Message that it's very upfront about wanting to present. Yeah. Very. So you know, you you look at the two figures you're presented with, like you've got the black elite. Yes. You've got you know the more working class. Hey, you know you know what about what about working from my gut? Kind of you know a white man, even though he's Italian American, but that parable absolutely holds up. Like yeah. you can you can see what why they might jump on this film for that message at this moment. Yeah, like it's not quite a safe film, but you can see where that might have some sort of cultural relevance at the moment. I I do completely agree. It's the kind of film your grandparents or your uncle or whoever will watch. And then when it gets to, like, Christmas or a family function and you're talking about movies, they talk about liking it. And you're like, do you know what? That That's fine. That's that's the least racist film you've enjoyed. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> kind of like that. You, you know, that old, uh, that old awkward Christmas uh, movie yeah. conversation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, like I say, I mean, it's not a great movie, but it's a perfectly enjoyable one. And... It's so enjoyable that I would actually give it Film of the Week, even though I think both Burning and Can You Forgive Me are actually better films. So... It's not always about the best film. It's sometimes about what you enjoyed more. I think if you're going to the Multiplex Saturday night, you want to see a movie, you know, just go and see it. I think, yeah. you'll, I think you'll have a good time. You know, go in expecting Driving Mr. Daisy, you're fine. Completely agree. You're completely fine. Okay, so let's see what we've got next week yeah, to come. have a look. So we've got uh, Alita Battle Angel is next week. Yeah. Right, I don't know what to expect. Uh, yeah. I really don't. But uh, we've got Boy Erased finally next week. Like, this one's been coming for years, hasn't it? It's, it's, it gets mentioned. It gets mentioned. I feel like we've been hearing about it for two years. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Boy Erased, that's next week. If Beale Street Could Talk is next week. So, new one from Barry Jenkins. This is my last film to see for the Oscars this year. Okay. I'm, well, I mean, obviously I'm Boy Erased, but uh, Boy Erased isn't really a huge contender. But uh, yeah, If Beale Street Could Talk is my uh, my final best picture right, uh, viewing right. for this year. Uh, All Is True, the new Shakespeare drama, that's next week. Uh, we've got a documentary, America from Dog Wolf that's next week and of course we're going to make everything awesome again the Lego Movie 2 colon the second part is upon us <laughs> and I kind of just preferred it when it was called the Lego Movie sequel yeah but I liked that there was yeah. a level of honesty in it that I could I could absolutely <laughs> appreciate but it's kind of like Sharknado 2 the second one as yeah. well okay that's... the second part feels a bit obligatory though. yeah but, uh, yeah, so we've got all those to come and more next week off screen. In the meanwhile, this has been a Candy Store production for Movie Marker. I've been Van Connor. I've been John Coulson. And we shall return. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more movie news, reviews and more, visit moviemarker.co.uk. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.
Podcast extras. Welcome, Mr. Coulson, to the Podcast Fun Zone. <laughs> so, Black Panther won what was effectively the Best Picture Award at the SAG Awards this week. Cool. Yeah. Um, it, it, was, it was an interesting thing. I actually had to do a radio slot about it. Okay. But... Um, Basically, they have, like, best performance by an ensemble or something like that. They give it some name. But for all intents and purposes, it's their best best picture category. Right. Black Panther walked it. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's opened up the conversation about, you know, what serious credibility does Black Panther have. Hmm. Could you picture a world in which Black Panther was an Oscar winner? I mean, yeah. I've seen Stranger Things. Hmm. I mean, I've literally seen the series Stranger Things. One but, and uh, two. Yeah. I haven't seen any of it. <laughs> But oh, I've got some 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 news that just amused the hell out of me. Okay, uh, because it was played as if it was like such a good thing. It was such an impressive thing, and that was you know Sundance is going on at the minute. Yeah, right. I think it was like IMDb or Amazon or something like that. It was doing like a junket thing where they just kept getting famous people who were at the Sundance Film Festival interviewed them. Right. Uh, one of them was Zazie Beetz. You know from Deadpool. Yes. She was. Uh, is it Domino? Something like um, the really lucky one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luck is not a superpower. It's in no way cinematic. That one. Yeah. So, she is in the new Joker movie. Okay. Uh, You know, Todd Phillips is one that's going to star Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin. Joaquin. It's done filming now. Okay. And uh, she's doing sort of early, like, leading promotion for it. Sundance, she was talking about it. And one of the things she bragged about was, oh, it's going to be so awesome. I mean, the script has had, like, so much work done. I mean, we were rewriting it literally every day. Yeah. That's not awesome. That's not awesome. That's a bad thing, lady. But, uh, yeah, so uh, expect that to be a mess. Well, did you say expect anything else? <laughs> no, no, I did not. Yeah. I mean, I really expected nothing from a Joker prequel movie, but, I mean, does anybody care about a Joker movie? Why are they doing it? There's, 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 there's a Joker... Because Heath Ledger died and an entire generation of uni students suddenly decided that the Joker was a cool anarchic figure. That's the reason. Okay. Right. Uh, Wonder Woman 3 is being planned. It will take place in the present day. Great. So, yay. I haven't seen number two yet. And, uh, right, this got banded around as a news headline, and I found it the most hilarious thing. Because this is, again, this is like, what? what who cares? Uh, Anthony Daniels has wrapped work on Star Wars Episode 9, which is... Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> They finished filming all the C-3PO scenes. Yay. I mean, that's what I go and see a Star Wars movie for. We finished some of the film. Yeah, thanks for that, Anthony. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) thanks thanks for that. Uh, They put out a video this week for Birds of Prey. Right. Did you see this at all? No. This was like a teaser. It was a see you soon kind of thing. It was shot like a music video and it showed off some of the cast from the film. Right. Uh, it didn't excite me at all. It just looked like 20 seconds of a music video. Okay. Thanks, I'd rather watch a music video. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, Oscar Isaac. Yes. He's a handsome chap, isn't he, Oscar Isaac? He is. Do you think, though, he is handsome enough to convincingly play the father of Timothy Chalamet? No. Well, we're going to find out for sure, because he's going to play his dad in uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we can add add that to that. Uh, The Sci-Fi Channel has gotten the Chucky TV series. It's actually called Chucky. Oh, right. This is going to be the TV series that follows on from the events of the recent Cult of Chucky? Yeah. Okay. Did you see that one? No. Kel did. Did you you find the Charles Play series? Not really. Not really. It was... Yeah, no. (laughs) No favourite ones or anything like that? No, no. 
Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, you, you know we got this this series, like, uh, did you see that Netflix dropped a Resident Evil TV series teaser this last week? Yes. Now, there's no word yet on how this is going to sit alongside the film reboot that we're getting as well, but, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one, I think, in there. Um, so, Starship Troopers, apparently, is being rebooted as a TV show. Awesome. Gets better. Apparently, they actually do think that some of the original cast will return. So I'm just Epic. Gonna, I'm just putting it out there. Neil Patrick Harris, all right, he's busy, but he's always busy. He does ten things at once. I want Colonel Carl Jenkins back. <laughs> oh god, those films are so good. You know what I love most about uh, Starship Troopers is just that line in uh, a very Howl and Kumar 3D Christmas when Neil Patrick Harris introduces himself as, ladies, Neil Patrick Harris, I played Colonel Carl Jenkins in the movie Starship Troopers. <laughs> Which is absolutely how I hope he introduces himself yeah, to people. Yeah, really. So, um, a film that I, I, I had not heard about until today. And I'm uh, I'm intrigued now. This is one of those films that you hear the concept for. You're like, that's going to be good. Okay, right. right. So there is a film called The Heart. Right. It's going to star Alison Janey, yeah, Octavia Spencer, and Sam Rockwell. Okay, it's a good good cast. Already interested. Right. It's an independent comedy. Right. It is going to star Sam Rockwell and Octavia Spencer as a as a, as a pair of people who uh, basically they uh, they're desperate for cash. They're down on their luck. They take a job delivering a human heart from like New York to uh, uh, to Florida. Like they've got a day to make this trip, right? And then they discover that the heart is going to someone on the black market, like who's paid to bypass the the waiting queue. So they try to find a more deserving heart for it. Alison Janey will play the black marketeer purchaser's wife. Right. Yes, I know, right? Gets better. Nat Faxon and Jim Rash are going to direct this. They have written it. Jim Rash is the dean from Community. So... Sorry, I've just had to look. I was, I was Alison Janey. couldn't remember her face, and it was driving me mad. There you go. Yeah, sorry about that. No, no, quite all right. I'm, I'm more in. Sorry. You're more in. That, yeah. That's fine. You remember Alison Janey, huh? I couldn't remember her face. Like, okay. You know when you know someone? Yeah. And then it was driving me mad. That's why I was looking at you like, oh, dude. By the way, you know that TV show they're making out of Hannah? Yes. That's apparently going to launch on Amazon Prime right after the Super Bowl. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, other things to discuss. Judd Apatow has teamed up with Pete Davidson. Right. You know, the the Saturday Night Live kid who went out with uh, Ariana Grande? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, the guy who always has, like, wacky colored hair? Yeah. He's quite a likable enough dude. Uh, He's doing a semi-autobiographical comedy with Apatow. All right. So, yeah, I mean... Are we talking about, like, train wreck for dudes? Because that was the last time Apatow did one of these kind of things. Yeah, we are talking about train but, wreck uh, for dudes. We pretty much are. Dude uh, wrecked. Yeah, exactly. Um, Peter Jackson did that documentary a few months ago. Uh, uh, oh, They Shall Never Grow Old. Yes. You know the one where he's remastered uh, uh, documentary footage? And yeah. He's made it look like new, and it looks tremendous. It looks like nothing else you've ever seen. Uh, well, he's got a new project that he's doing. He's going to be overseeing a documentary about the Beatles that is going to be released. It's going to be called Let It Be, and it's going to be released for the 50th anniversary of Let It Be, which I think is in 2020. Sweet. So, yeah, Peter Jackson's getting around the documentary circuit there. See, Never that saw that. could be really good. It could, but, you know, we had Ron Howard do a Beatles documentary this last year, and it wasn't great. Was that the one that, the, where it stopped when it got good? 
Yes, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. it stopped before they actually became the Beatles. Yeah. But, uh, oh, uh, De- De- Deadpool. Zombieland 2. Yes. It comes from the writers of Deadpool. Uh, Zombieland 2 has a title. It is going to officially be called Zombieland. Double tap. Nice. I know, I like it, I like it. It's kind of cute. Did you see the poster they put out for it? No. So they actually put uh, the first official image from the film. They, they've put this online. But what they've done, because they like to be cool, yes. is uh, they have used the opportunity to host their own 10-year challenge, and they have put the two, the original poster, alongside a teaser image for the new one with the new title, and is what the cast look like in those roles now. That's fantastic. Uh, amazingly, Woody Harrelson and Jesse Eisenberg look exactly the same. <laughs> um, Emma Stone just looks, looks like someone who has more gold on her uh, on her living room shelf. Okay. You know, as one does. But, uh, right, obvious uh, toy pitch. I mean, it's a terrible one, but I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner. The Hot Wheels movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also Warner Brothers, you know, who are doing that Funko thing. So, yeah. did, I mean, I know it was the Toy Fair recently, wasn't it? Like the, 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 the International Toy Convention in New York. Uh, it might have, might have been, yeah. Did Warner Brothers just happen to send one of their reps down there and they got a bit trigger happy with the licensing agreements? I mean, it sounds that way. It feels like it, doesn't it? Uh, here's something interesting that I didn't know, though. Hot Wheels, how far back do you think they go? Like, so far back it gets ridiculous. 1968. That's not as far as I thought. 51 years old. But, um, so, it's going to be a joint project between Mattel and Warner. Yeah. Right? Uh, they already have a project in, uh, in development together. They have uh, Margot Robbie's Barbie movie. Oh, yeah. So this will be their second film together. Okay. So this is it's going to be intriguing to see what other Mattel products get on there. I mean, Mattel don't own Nerf, do they? Because I, I really don't want to sit through a Nerf movie. I don't know. But I'll tell you what I would sit through, though, right? This is how you do a Nerf movie. Right? This is literally it, right? You do a full-blown... Like, just you forget that it's a Nerf movie. Yeah. Okay, when you sit down to write it, you write... A hard-boiled, brilliant, OTT, 12A-rated summer blockbuster action movie. And then you just replace all the guns with Nerf guns. And that is Nerf the movie. Or yeah, or you take all films with a heavy gun mm. presence. Yeah. American Sniper. Right. Uh, you replace them with Nerf guns. <laughs> that would work. That would work. But that's, but that's the thing. Like, imagine like you got the action movie where like the hero's uh, sidekick is up in the bell tower with the with the sniper rifle on him, yeah. and it's played completely straight. But he is using a massive Nerf gun. Yeah, it sort of sort of changes if uh, if a tank turns, looks up, and then throws one of them American footballs with a whistle on the back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you do that, but but then it blows up. All right, but then st- it has to, it has to blow up. Okay, it still blows up. Does it blow up with like confetti and glitter? <laughs> but that's it. You, just, you play with it like that. I I would absolutely see the hell out of that movie. You know, if you just went full Twenty One Jump Street with it, that'd be ridiculous. I would watch the hell out of that movie. <laughs> Go on, you tell me. I didn't just sell you on a Nerf movie. Yeah, you know what? Watch it. Yep, exactly. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Oh uh, well, I mean, Matt Reeves is talking about his of his movie, The Batman, that he's rumored to make at some point in the next decade. Yeah, I know. I've no interest it's in It's just this. too many. I know. But Matt Reeves thinks he's found a new angle to cover it from. Oh, what is it? It turns out, you see, he wants to do Batman as a noir detective. You know, like Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
I mean, seriously. Come on. Imagine the unmitigated balls it takes to sit in front of a journalist and say the words, well, I thought our interesting new way of doing this character would be, we'll actually do the character. Mm. I mean, that's a special level of gullibility right there. I mean... I want to see the Spider-Man version from, from the Spider-Man as well. That's true, isn't it? Yeah. I just... Really? is. I mean, I know it's... Again, it's printing your own money. It's fiscally irresponsible not to do it, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah, you know... I'm sure your shareholders will be pretty pissed off if you don't make a Batman movie soon, but... It needs to be, yeah, there needs to be a point where it, there's too many, and, like, how... Yeah. <laughs> you know that film, uh, The Kid Who Would Be King... Mm. Right, this is coming out shortly. This is Joe Cornish's uh, Arthurian, his modern day Arthurian movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Apparently, that's flopped hard in the US. Oh, wow. It is going to lose 50 million. Do you remember? I think we had the conversation at one point where I said I was surprised that he had the clout to get a movie made on purely on the back of uh, Attack the Block. Yeah, that cost as much as that did. Yeah, and uh, just putting it out there, I might have been onto something. Yeah, could have got that one right. Yeah, just looks like it might not have been a great idea. Apparently, the reboot of The Grudge has been delayed until twenty twenty. Is that a reboot of reboot? I have no idea. Who cares? Again, like <laughs> I love when we get to the podcast extras and we just talk about films and we're always like, why? Who cares? Why would you do that? Here's one you Tell love. me something Here's else. Right. The Rizza nice. is going to direct and do the score for a movie called Angel of Dust. Oh, wow. There's going to be like a Wu-Tang Clan biopic. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in on that. I really am. I mean, it's not going to have the fun of Wu Tang Financial, but you know, that's still one of Chappelle's best sketches. Yeah. <laughs> Got to diversify your bonds. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty quiet week, otherwise, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Friday, when this goes out, obviously, is the, 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 the trailer drops for Hobbs and Shaw, so yeah. we'll see what comes with that. A lot of rock Instagram. In- yeah, Instagram's that a, was the a word. Th- we do have news on that, actually. Okay. So, R- The Rock released a photo, this a couple of photos this week, actually, yes. behind the scenes, like, production stills. Yeah. And uh, we are going to see where Hobbs comes from. Yes. In this movie, we're going to see he's going to go. He's going to go back home. He's going to visit his brothers, mm-hmm. of which he apparently has like four or five. Yep, there's loads of them, and they're all the same size as him. All huge. Which I think they missed a trick because surely the humor was in finding like four guys who were bigger than the Rock, so that they could just have the the joke that he's like so the he's runt like, of the yeah, litter, yeah. like, and that's why he behaves like he does. Yeah, no. he's been picked on his entire <laughs> life, so he just never left the gym. But one of uh, Hobbs's brothers is going to be played by Roman Reigns. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought, oh, that's quite cool, because they're cousins, aren't they? Um, yeah, there's some sort of wrestling family link. There, there's some tenuous link, isn't there, between them? But they, for one time's purposes, regard one another as cousins. Yeah, this is where we need our, our friends to yeah. be like, guys. <laughs> but Rock did drop a little interesting nugget okay. on the side of this, which is apparently they had asked Jason Momoa to be one of the brothers. Ah, Scheduling didn't work out, apparently. Uh, but uh, I, I think that's a good thing. I wouldn't terribly want to legitimise uh, Jason Momoa after just a god-awful Aquaman. You watched Aquaman, by the way. We need to discuss this. Oh, God. Do we? Yeah. Do we? Please tell me what you thought of Aquaman. It fucking sucks. <laughs> okay. It really does. It, it really is does. so bad. All the time. 
<laughs> you didn't enjoy it at all, then? No, it was terrible. I turned to Kel, and I was like, huh? <laughs> Drumming octopus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 there was, there was a film. Um, kind of got, not announced, but it, it sort of came to light this week. Right. John Cena has a new job. This this is actually really great as well. John Cena has a new job. He's going to be in a movie that's going to be directed by Jason Bateman. Okay. Yeah. It is a Netflix movie. It has one of the writers of Game Night scripting it. Grateful. Yeah. It doesn't have a title as yet, but J- uh, Jason, John Cena is going to star as the patriarch of a family that gets stuck in an old abandoned movie studio... In which, after dark, the sets come to life and the family find themselves under siege from... Yeah, I know. Yeah. Imagine. This is basically the movie that Last Action Hero promised us it was going to be. Yeah. And I am so in. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, just imagine that. It's going to be like John Cena fighting Frankenstein and the Wolfman and, like, Indiana Jones-type characters. It's going to be great. I'm all in. (laughs) Right. Uh, Jane Silent Bob reboot. Why? Yeah, you know, this movie that's apparently now getting made, although it's Kevin Smith, so I'll believe it when I'm in a screening about to watch it. Uh, Saban Films have acquired the rights to this. Okay. You know, Saban, who released the Power Rangers. Yeah. Yeah, not a great label, but okay, at least he's got distribution. This is because Harvey's not really in the picture anymore, you see. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin Smith always used to get bankrolled back in the day because just Harvey would just pick him up. Yeah. But uh, uh, James Wan is apparently waiting on a script for Aquaman 2. He can wait. Before he commits to directing it. Because he's seen... Oh, just... Yeah. It it seems like it really took a toll on you. It was so bad. I'm glad. I'm glad it took a toll on you. I'm glad someone else suffered the way I did. Wait. (laughs) Did you see the bit? My favourite bit, though. Did you notice it? (laughs) My favourite bit, which is... What's the name, anyway? Yeah. Yeah. And, honestly, like... It was so bad that I've sort of forgotten everything about everything. Actually, I did. A couple of days later when I was sitting right in the room, I'm like, I think I've forgotten the plot to this. Now. But the, the the sort of main bad guy. Uh, Orm. The main baddie. Orm the Ocean Master. Yeah, the Ocean Master. <laughs> Shock on. But he's like, when he's underwater, he's got like slick backed hair, which sort of suggests that he's got really long hair and it's mm, all like yeah. slick back. And then when he's out of the water, he's just sort of got short hair and it must have been always like, pl- and even that level of, even that's crap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just a dude's hair in it is crap. They sit in a whale's mouth and that's crap. I will agree. I do think most things about Aquaman are crap. I mean, the fact that it ends is not crap, but uh... there's a fight scene in it. Which I was like, meh, with um, Black Manta? Nicole Kidman. Oh, Nicole Kidman. Oh, the one where she's in the living room and yeah. she's taking out guards left, right, and center. Yeah. I was, that works. I was like, cool. Yeah. And then the rest of it happened. And yeah, the, that guy, with the, why has he got some sort of huge. What, like, why did he have time? It's like, I'm making this suit, I'm going to kill Aquaman. <laughs> and then was like, why has he got time to paint it black? Yeah, no idea. And why would you do that? Like, yeah, oh, well, I'm building this suit, like all this technology that I don't understand, and, you know, you can turn water into blowing up rocks, but you must spray paint it. I really love that. I mean, that character, um, is it uh, Yahim Abdul-Mateen, I think his name is? Abdul-Mateen third, I think. Um, I love how when he's introduced, uh, Colonel Ellis from Stargate tells him that story about, oh, you know, your dad was in the, your granddaddy was in the, the, the Navy and the Marines, and the, oh, his, his unit were called the Mantas. 
And then, like, it cuts in the next shot, they do an establishing shot of their ship, and you're like, oh, look, the ship just coincidentally looks like a manta ray. <laughs> and then they get to, like, the end of the movie, when he's he's got that, he's, he's fighting in the whole manta suit. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, oh, you can call me Black Manta. And you're like, really? The, the whole, what, the whole thing? The movie's just the origin story about how you decided to stick the word black before manta? Yeah. Oh, good lord, it was a terrible movie. It was, yeah. Like, god. Like, Aquaman in um, Justice League. Yeah. He was a bit of a dick. Well, he still is. And, he, and, and, then, and then you were like, meh. And then they made this film and you're like, oh my god. I could deal with you being a bit of a dick. But you've got an entire <laughs> movie about just how crap you are. Two and a half hour exercise in dickishness. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, it's just... It's not a good film, is it? No, it's not a good film in any way, shape, or form. It's 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 so bad that it's 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 unacceptable that they can put that film out because that that character obviously has fans. Hmm. And if yeah, but he gets his gold suit at the end. Where he gets it from, we don't know. Yeah, but uh, he does. He just literally just bogs off behind a waterfall and just turns up with this. Didn't uh, he have that? In- I mean, don't you love the bit when he says you got to find the magic trout? He says, oh, I already got one. Yeah. You're like, bitch, we know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, don't, I, know, I know that I, I hate on DC films quite a bit, but... To that, be fair, they bring it on themselves. But that was... It was, it was terrible. Mm. But, uh, well, at least two-thirds of Wonder Woman was good. Yeah. Yeah. And, hey, Teen Titans got the movies, technically, a DC movie, so, you know... That's that's pretty good. You seen that? No. I recommend that. Okay. Yeah, it's like Lego movie level uh, humour. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's a great sequence in which Robin has to kill Batman's parents, and they play it for laughs. Oh, wow. Not even kidding. <laughs> actually actually a thing that happens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> really? The psychics go through, travel through time in a montage to get rid of all the superheroes by like, undoing their origin stories. Right. It's so, like Robin just shows up and like smacks the, the mugger before he could shoot Batman's parents. Okay. And then later on, when they realise they've got to... Well, later on, like five minutes later, when they realise they've got to set the timeline right, they have to go back and like do everything again. It's like blow up Krypton. And Robin has to dive down an alleyway and shoot, shoot Batman's parents. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I kind of need to see that now, yeah. Well, the thing is, that joke was scary before Titans. Yeah. Now, Titans exists. And you have that whole thing with, uh, what's his name, Brenton Thwaites... As Robin just like stamp curb stomping a dude's face and be like fuck Batman, <laughs> and like oh, okay yeah this was this was kind of charming when it was animated just put it out there <laughs> less so when it's an Australian dude in his late twenties too far <laughs> too much too much sir too much <laughs> but uh, yeah so I mean that's that's really it for me this week are you all you all caught up on the news you feel you feel newsened yeah I'm I'm I'm, I'm newsed up you're newsed up in which case here it is your moment of cage. All right, look, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm sorry I was such a saint before, and I'm, I'm such a prick now. But maybe I'm just not the same guy that I was when we got married. 